Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I get excited even thinking about doing this program every week because I know we're going to A, have a lot of fun, B, learn a lot, and C, we are going to get practices that can make a concrete difference in our lives. And I so want you to practice what you learn on High Energy Health. This isn't an informational show. Now, you'll get a fire hose of information from most of our guests and certainly from me, but I want to make sure you translate that into practice. So I encourage you to listen with a notebook. I know when I listen to a really great speaker or I'm at a conference or at a mastermind, I have have my computer there. I have my device there. But I also have something to take notes on. And there are just so many ways of recording these nuggets. And then afterwards, I look at how I can apply that to my life. What am I going to change? What practice will I sharpen based on what I've learned? So I'd encourage you to treat this as a learning experience. Treat it as though you were going to a, a lecture hall at MIT or Yale or Stanford or some great learning institution, and you were going to just hear somebody top-notch and, and hear information that literally could shift your life. It's often not the big things. I mean, we all know we should do these sets of healthy practices, but often there'll be some little piece of insight that a speaker will give us. It'll make the lights go on. We'll apply it, and that'll be the leverage point that'll change everything. So listen for those. There are lots of big ideas, and there are lots of little ideas and hints you'll find here as well. So treat high-energy health as your learning laboratory, and keep those records, make those notes, and then see how you can apply those things in your life. I was just counting up the other day and the number of journals that I've accumulated over the last five years. And five years ago, my house burned up in one of the these big conflagrations, Northern California wildfires called the Tubbs Wildfire. So I lost all my journals going back to when I was 15 years old. So I began a new journal after that. And I was just counting, I filled seven journals in five years. And all of the, these insights, again, can really help you. So apply what you learn, listen carefully, make notes, apply it. How can that one simple idea shift your life and chronicle those and see how you can bring them into your everyday reality. So make high energy health not just inspiration, but make it innovation and make it application in your life as well. My guest today is somebody I'm really looking forward to chatting with. His name is Stephen Alter, and you can see more about his work at the website Raising Our Vibration. .net. Again, RaisingOurVibration.net, not .com or .net. RaisingOurVibration.net. He's an author, he's a mystic, he's a meditation teacher, and he launched Australia's first health and lifestyle interactive TV channel with Open TV, and has done a lot of other things in the exercise, meditation, and media space. He's also been interested in science for a long time, so he's looked at the effect of subtle energy, 
on anxiety and stress. He's also used instruments like EEGs and HRVs to measure what happens to our bodies when our awareness changes. And as we're now realizing, that's a lot. And he's been giving transformational workshops in healing, meditation, lucid dreaming, and practical mystical approaches to life for over 30 years. It is such a joy and delight to welcome you here today, Stephen. Thank you so much, Dawson. It's such an absolute delight too. I'm a great fan of your work and incredibly blessed to be here. So thank you. And thank you to everybody who's listening. This is really a dialogue between us and you. So yes. I'm really grateful for this collective consciousness that we bring here, this collective high energy health. Very exciting. And also feel what's happening as you listen, share with Stephen and I to your body, your mind, your energy level, what's happening to your vibration. When you're just sitting with people with a certain vibrational level, it's hard not to get caught up in the energy and then shift with them. So I, I suspect you'll find if you score yourself now and in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it will be it will be out of this world. It'll be, it'll be out a of very this world. It'll be a very boundless experience. <laughs> so I know you, you actually were immersed in spirituality at a very early age. And I think that's real privilege when we do have that, when you sense a genuine spirituality with people around us. Who was it in your life when you were a child who most gave you that felt sense of what this was like? Yeah, beautiful question. So I was brought up by a godmother, a Carmelite mother superior by the name of Kath, Mother Catherine Adamson. And she taught me about Carmelite centering prayer from when I was very, well, when I was a baby. And that practice, especially the practice of the great unknowing, in other words, that we don't know who God is and where we rest our, let go of our identity, let go of our concepts, let go of any of these constructs that we think around it. That was very influential for me as a baby. And she taught me how to visualize angels around me from that very early age. So I've been able to see angels do it since I was a very young child. And I presume that everybody could see them. But I realized that we all see, hear, feel, sense these guardians or protection in very different ways. So that was a really very direct connection to that those very early life forming experiences. And as a result, so my dad was a scientist. He ran a hospital or he managed a hospital unit. And my mum was the matron of a, another hospital. So that, but my mum was very into the saints, into the mystics. And so she was a very spiritual scientist, if I could call it that. And dad was a real scientist. So I was brought up on the hospital wards. I often used to describe my journeys as a, as a youngster as, Oh, where, what were you doing these holidays? Oh, I was in hospital. <laughs> <What was that? laughs> Oh, I was helping the doctors on the ward. So it was really, it was a really funny kind of way that I saw my holidays. And at the age of two, Dawson, I had a recurring dream every single night for an entire year that I was a Tibetan monk and that I died in this dream. And I died the same way over and over again. I woke screaming. I had a tremendous amount of anxiety around me. And because I couldn't make sense as a young one, I tried to keep verbalizing this. My parents thought I was epileptic. And that was actually my first introduction to neuroscience because I was taken in and out of many hospitals and many test labs, testing everything, eyesight, vision, brain, and so on. But they found nothing untoward, nothing that was... Obviously, at that point, I was having a past life experience, as I found out later when I studied with His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, that I'd served him as a 
Tibetan monk and, and died in 1959. So I actually had a direct confirmation in many ways from His Holiness. In fact, the Dalai Lama told me directly myself, I was very fortunate as a young man, I was part of a group that sponsored him on his first trip to New Zealand. And he told me, I asked him what he thought I should do in those very sort of early, early, very green days of of experience and he said very simply study embody become and teach and i just thought it was i've kept those those words right close to my heart ever since a, a you know a young 20 year old so that dream that very early dream and that experience with new, the early neuroscience of being in and out of hospitals and test labs was actually it, it propelled me on this deeply curious journey into well what do we experience how do we experience these states and and what are the different traditions showing i, I brought up in that very carmelite mystical traditions, so the traditions of St. Francis of Assisi and St. Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Lisso and St. John of the Cross. So I was really, in. I, I kept going to my local parish priest when I was just a, a tender little kid and saying, why aren't we studying the mystical experiences of the saints? <laughs> oh, that's far beyond our human experience. But as I was to find out, and I and so I journeyed all over the world, you know, and studied with different masters in different monasteries and different traditions. To really ask that question, what is inner knowing that you have in all these different traditions and how does it show up for you? And at those stages, I wasn't measuring it, but later, uh, thanks to neuroscience groups and science labs in Japan, I was able to measure those effects and what, what had actually happened in my brain. So it was a really wonderful meeting uh, and intersection of this spirituality and science. So it was that, in a sense, that very, that two-year-old experience with that dreaming. And, and you've mentioned journals. So all of those, everybody who's listening, you know, those journals that Dawson has mentioned, they are absolutely priceless. So I kept journals like Dawson did from that very young age because I had so many dreams. I was an avid lucid dreamer from a very young child. I documented more than 30,000 dreams over a period of around about 10 to 15 years. And it was very, very, it was a very rich and deep journaling experience. And it, that whole experience with dreaming and lucid dreaming was in fact the propulsion into this deep curiosity about meditation and blissful, bliss states and studying with the masters. Wow. And so with that kind of initial formative experience with mysticism, then you naturally went into it and obviously you had an affinity for it as well. There's some people who just it just doesn't resonate with. It's interesting. You look some people and they're they're surrounded by people who are, and maybe their husbands and their wives or their children are, and they're they're not. It's very interesting. You know, you mentioned raising our vibration, and there's some people who just aren't vibrating at that level. And I've also learned to see those that are in, in my life and and really interact with them and we reinforce each other that way and if there are people who aren't i just don't have any kind of i don't regret it but i also recognize that those just aren't my people at least for now so having that rich initial experience and then going seeking out those teachers really reinforced all of that for you and gave you this sort of movement into it so let me ask you this and this is perhaps an unusual question but what were the difficulties and challenges you faced with that kind of orientation the, so one is obviously that you feel quite alone because you start testing out experience and you say so do you see angels do you see lights when you sit down to pray do you feel like you're drawn into ecstasy <laughs> does your brain light up do you see visions all the time i saw i'd lie down to go to sleep and i'd have 300 visions you know pulsing through my consciousness and they'd flash you know it was like being actually right in the middle of a movie so 
finding people to relate to. I re- remember again, you know, in my early teens, going next door to my neighbor in tears and saying, I need to find magicians. <laughs> I need to find masters. And she s- said, I've been waiting for you to come across. And she handed me two books, The Kabbalion, which is a beautiful alchemical text, and Autobiography of Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. And I went back as, as if somebody had just given me gold and really sat down and studied and decided, oh, I'm going to learn both alchemy and yoga. They seem to be quite similar. I'll, and so she became my, you know, confidant and mentor and friend and guided me into lots of groups and also into lots of exchanges with other mystics that I could relate to. So I think that sense of loneliness, you know, if you're listening to me and you you can identify with that, that you feel like, oh, I don't quite relate to members of my family because they don't share that common thread of that mystical understanding or they don't share that same curiosity. So if you're listening to that, look, please reach out. I'm, I talk to so many people every day who that's the first thing they say. They say, you're not going to think I'm crazy if you tell me this. The first line of the Crest Jewel of Illumination by Shankara, the first few sentences are, this is a 2,000-year-old Hindu scripture. Ramana Maharshi, great mystic, said that this was like the, the way uh, to, to become illumined. <laughs> Shankara says, if you're in a body and you're reasonably healthy and you aren't doing this work, you're a fool. <laughs> he says that, you know. So, I mean, we have the privilege of, of consciousness and awareness and bodies. And, and he says, you just got to go do it. He's like so blunt and direct about doing, doing it. And then he realized that most of the world isn't doing it. They're talking about the football scores. And they're talking about the latest, you know, what the city council is going to do with, with the pavement. I mean... <laughs> Totally, totally. I absolutely, you know, I think some of the basic questions that I asked were exactly around that, Dawson, is like, what does the evidence show? What would a spiritual master say? And obviously to get answers to that, I had to go and visit the masters in the mountains. So I did that in the Himalayas, but equally the masters in the labs. I wanted to find out both angles on it. And I think that what you're speaking to points to, you know, awareness itself, like where your attention is, there you are. And I, I think you've mentioned that story before about Swami Muktananda. And I studied with Swami Muktananda's groups and ashrams and Guru Maya over a long period of time. And the he speaks about that red dot, you know, the red dot on the, the white sheet. And that yeah. if you're focused on the red dot, if you obsess on just one particular thing, then that's where all your direction is turned to. That's where all your awareness is directed. And if you want to really touch the infinite and you want to go beyond and you want to go beyond concept, then that's where you need to direct your attention. So I think there's some really basic richness in that example you've given is so true that if we focus on the pavement or if we focus on, oh, just angsting about everything in the, that's going on in the world, then that's where our attention is directed and that's where we find our awareness sits. And that's not going to touch the boundless blissful states that everybody knows of but probably is not quite so inclined to turn to because they think oh it's beyond my reach and one of the things i think you and i have done over so many years and you for many more years than me have turned people towards knowing that they can do this and that there are very simple ways of accessing this and you don't have to go and sit for 10 years in an ashram on the top of the mountain to actually access these states that you can do this really directly with guidance and with yeah directly and then the challenge too then is to integrate them because first scholar to do a large-scale study was a catholic priest called andrew greedy 
He was also a novelist and a researcher. He's a really interesting guy. And in the 1970s, he did a study of people and mystical experiences. And he found out that the vast majority of people are having what are called anomalous experiences. They're not anomalous at all. They're actually by far one of the most common experiences there are. So that was one finding of Andrew Greeley's study was that virtually everyone is having them. And another striking finding of the study was that they're not telling anybody about them. So wives aren't telling husbands, husbands aren't telling wives, children aren't telling parents, nobody's telling their parish priest. <laughs> and so what we find here is that people are having these experiences and there's no place to put them. I know when I first had a mystical experience at the age of about 13, I was I was just laying in my bedroom in despair one day, just I was really suicidal and miserable and just incredibly depressed. And just one day I was laying there in my bedroom and I just suddenly had this experience of looking out out at the cosmos and it was this huge field of light and there were all these like this infinite field all these little lights there i just understood intuitively that the fabric of the cosmos was love and that experience was with me but could i talk to anybody about that and i mean any of my friends at school or my parents or anybody in the church i mean they would have pretty much in fact there's a documentary out of now about people have had spontaneous experiences spontaneous awakenings and the majority of them actually wind up getting diagnosed and medicated a lot of them wind up being locked in padded cells or on three medications. And there's just so little ability to share this in our society and then integrate it. So that, that's the other big challenge. You've obviously been able to integrate this and bring it in. And we want to share it with people, the potential with them. But again, the integration part is often really a challenge. I totally agree. And you mentioned Andrew the priest. And one of my favorite researchers, Andrew Newberg, and he also, you know, through his studies, he identified a number of characteristics of, you know, the yes. mystical experience. He spoke about the sense of intensity, spoke about the sense of clarity, spoke about unity, surrender, and transformational effects. And I've often gone back to those five characteristics as being very important to help us integrate. So if you're listening to us and you can identify with any of that, if you've had, <laughs> just like Dawson, you know, very, very intense experience or you've had a sense of really deep clarity around something you know this is actually pointing straight to that mystical effect and i think when you can break it down for people into hey you're not crazy this is actually something that is a really deep and transformational opportunity to access mystical states and you're starting to awaken to them and that was partly where professor you know, Gina Yu at the consciousness group, that was what he was speaking to is about the opportunities for us when we have those awakening moments that we aren't crazy and that there's a place to go. There's people like you, Dawson, that people can reach out to and feel like, oh, they're, I'm not crazy. There's a way of stabilizing this because obviously stabilizing and integrating, just as you've mentioned, is a really huge part of it. So I want you to really hear what Stephen's saying over here. And I want you to, to know that if you've had these experiences, they're not anomalous. Most people have them. They can be scary. There's no place to put them. It's hard to talk to anyone else about them, but they are experienced by most people. And so hear what he's saying over here, that these experiences are part of not just being human, but also moving into uh, the fullest possibilities of both our humanness and who we are as more than local human beings. And so don't be scared. There's a whole literature here. There are researchers who are studying people like you and me. There are study people like Andrew Newberg, who Stephen just mentioned, who has a database of about 200, 2,000 accounts of people like this and has derived these five commonalities of the experience. And so we know the path. There is a path here. And there's support for you. 
There's literature, there are programs, and there are ways of understanding yourself and then moving with these and then integrating them in everyday life. You don't have to go away to the monastery. You don't have to go do what I did, which is go join a spiritual community at the age of 15 or travel to exotic places. You can do it right where you are, and I want you to know that. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned if you're listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and for more on Stephen's work, go to the website RaisingOurVibration.net. RaisingOurVibration.net. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I so enjoy sharing with you on this program each week. Make it part of your routine to join me, bookmark the page, and just fill your mind with positive ideas. I know I look at the news sometimes. Now, that's often a big mistake, (laughs) but I do sometimes. Usually once a day, I look at the news, but I have two tabs open. One is Google News. The other is Positive News, and I'll use the positive news as an antidote. It's far more interesting usually, and it's far more plentiful than the negative news. All these wonderful things going on around us. So make sure you use media like High Energy Health to be part of your mental hygiene. Immerse yourself in positive music, positive movies, positive messages, positive people, positive the vibrations. It really makes a huge difference in your life. Also, for a set of practice, a set of meditations, there are actually free meditations on my website, blissbrain.com. It's the website for my book, Bliss Brain. Go there. You can download eight meditations for free and research. Eight meditations actually start to shift your brain function within a month. It's really amazing to see the the results of using meditations. They shift the way your brain works, and those are free at blissbrain.com. And for more on Stephen's work, go to his website, raisingourvibration.net, raisingourvibration.net. Stephen, we talked about spirituality, the spiritual experience, integrating it, whether you're raised that way or whether you come to it and then you find a way to bring it into your everyday life. One of the things that really is so different about today's era than, say, the era of my grandparents or going back to, say, the 1900s is the, the role science is playing in this. Because you know, with Descartes and, the, and the, the scientific revolution, I think, therefore, I am. And then, of course, the great split when Charles Darwin published The Origin of Species and then the Church of England was vociferously opposed to him. There's been this split of science and spirituality, and certainly science and religion. And what's been remarkable in the last five decades is now that we're turning instruments like EEGs and heart rate variability monitors and MRIs into studying spirituality, we're discovering it's having massive effects on our brain, our body, and our function. So I'm just thrilled we're at this, this time when the two are really coming together. I, I predict we'll come together much more closely in, in the next decades. So how did you get intrigued by that and what have you done in that space? Thank you, Dawson. Thank you. The, so one, of, I think spirituality and science are growing together just like me. So w- one of the things that really interested me, my dad was a physicist, so was my uh, sister. So we naturally had physics in the house. And I was really curious about the fact that progress in theoretical physics, especially during the last decade, has been leading to this more progressively unified understanding of the laws of nature and consciousness. So there is, you know, unified field theories, 
identifying a single universal unified field at the basis of all form and phenomena in the universe. I think that's been a really interesting evolution of science that I've followed recently, because at the same time, the other area of science that I'm particularly interested in is this cutting-edge research in the field of neuroscience, Part, you know, partly my curiosity from the way that my brain unfolded as a, as a young child, really deeply interested in what had they put on my head in those hospitals when I was just you know two and three years old. And the the field in neuroscience is also revealing the the existence of this unified field of consciousness. You know, we have these distinct states of waking, dreaming, deep sleep, and there's that fourth major state of human consciousness. And in a meditative state, for example, through samadhi, which is really a, a deep, absorbed state, there is a the observer and the observed and the process of observation. You know, even those even paralleled by the double slit experiment in physics are, are actually united in an indivisible wholeness of pure consciousness, which can't be measured and it can't be named. So, but these parallel discoveries of the unified field of physics and the unified field of consciousness really have raised my excitement level of the that there is this. Even if you can pick certain holes in each part of it, there is a unifying. There is actually, people are asking fundamental questions regarding the relationships of the two and how they might come together. So the, both the theoretical and the experimental evidence has been really compelling in these fields that there is a potential non-dual or indivisible state that human awareness can directly experience at, which is at the foundation of the universe. So it's that bringing together that is, has me tremendously excited that I wake up every morning thinking about how we can help the humanity evolve as a whole interconnecting to this unified field that's at the foundation of the universe. And there have been a lot of different you know, experiments done. I think it was John Haglin that did a national demonstration project where they took 4,000 advanced meditators. And over the period of the time that they, they researched that, there was a marked reduction in violent crime in Washington, D.C. And I always found that those mechanisms that bring about that. So this proposed link between human neuro physiology and the unified field of physics speaks straight to my heart and speaks straight to you know my relationship with both medicine and science and spirituality through my dad and mum. So that has particularly given rise to all those questions that we ask about. So what does the evidence show? What does the science show us about meditation itself? And when I've applied those findings and looked at the way that meditation practice, for example, has transformed my life and the lives of other people around me, it's been truly transforming, truly ex exciting. And that's really my basic motivation is to share that joy with people. So recognize, you know, that we can rewire our brains through meditation and that through Western society, just like you were mentioning, you know, with the news, we tend to get into these habits which are very conceptual where we get hardwired in our brains, our habits, our views, our perspectives, our ways of looking at the world. And and so it's a groove. You've created a groove. And when you realize that you can change it and rewire it, then this is such an aha for people. What? I can change my brain. That neuroplasticity is really such a fundamental, it should be taught is one of the first words in elementary school you know you can change <laughs> <it>. <laughs> i love it yeah so i'm very present you know to the wonders of this that wherever your attention is then you're either going to be focused on a very dual and finite view of the world or 
you're going to be prepared, like the great cloud of unknowing in the Carmelite tradition, which I think is why it kind of enchanted me so much. You can also discover and explore this non-dual or, or what might be known as beyond concept. And when people say, but hang on, we've just got these five senses, haven't we? Isn't it? But even that, I often speak to people about this. In 1978, there was a scientist and philosopher, Guy Murchie, who identified 48 senses, you know, as an mm. example. There are many of us who think of the, who know from the X-Men, we've seen the movies and we've heard about Magneto and what's known as an electromagnetic sense. But in fact, it is actually a real sense. It's known as magnetoreception. And uh, Professor Joseph Kirschfink of the California Institute of Technology, together with colleagues in the US and Japan in 2019, did research where they actually discovered the human system can tell the North from the South. And that there are crystals, iron-based crystals, in special cells in the body that actually are thought to rotate rather like the needle of a compass. So they open and close pores in the cells, thereby affecting signals being sent to the brain. So I, I was so curious about this research because I thought, well, hang on a minute. If we've got all these extra senses, what are we not exploring? What, are, what have we defined ourselves as? And what happens if we go beyond concept? What if we point to the power of interoception, which is where the raising of vibration group go, goes into is the inner sensing combined with mindfulness. It brings enormous power to the human potential. That's one of the areas of research I've been incredibly interested in. You know, the fact that when we look outside our window, we look at a house and we think, oh, well, that house is real, isn't it? But in fact, it is in just simply an interpretation of our brain. Like right now, there are galaxies out there that whose light is on the, still on the way to our eyes, but hasn't had the opportunity to reach us yet. So we are only perceiving a fraction of what's present. And I often give the example like the when you consider we feel stable, and yet as school kids, we know that the earth is moving about the sun in a very nearly circular orbit and it covers a route at a speed of around 30 kilometers per second or 67,000 miles an hour. And then the Milky Way itself is moving at an astounding 1.3 million miles per hour. So it really shows us that we are just simply perceiving what our senses are telling us. And, and in fact, we're moving it rapidly through the entire universe, which I've, I live with that concept every moment. I feel the movement of the universe. And I think we're, and we're not even aware of it. Because like you said, we're mostly yeah. focused on the news and worried about what the economy is going to do. Yeah, and our small little local lives. We're going to go to a break right now, but I'd love to have you give us a, an actual experience of this when we come back. So in the next part of our conversation, I'd love to have you actually do this with us and then help us touch that that felt sense that combines both mindfulness and interoception. So we'll do that in a moment. If you're listening to High Energy Health for more on Stephen's work, Go to his website, which is raisingourvibration.net. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I am your high energy host, Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you each week. Make high energy health a part of your regular life and come here and be inspired every single week. Bookmark the page and join me week after week for more fascinating and practical ideas. My guest today is author and mystic Stephen Alter. His website is raisingourvibration.com. 
Matt. Stephen, I'd love to have you do a practical exercise with us, because of course, you're so focused on bringing these states in people's awareness consciously. So let's go ahead and just take a few moments and just go there with you in the next while. So as you're listening to us, just simply rest back and close your eyes, because we're going to go to one of the most essential key points of any practice. And that is that every experience that you have can be viewed as your own true, pure, boundless, and clear nature. So all we're going to do to begin with is to let go and rest in that awareness and allow every experience to unfold within this open space, this open, boundless space. So go ahead and get comfortable first. Find an upright posture that allows you to be relaxed and alert. Check in with your body. Make friends with this beautiful body that your consciousness is resting in. And do whatever you need to do to truly let go, just to surrender. If it helps, you can bring to mind an experience that helps you to let go. Sometimes this is like being out in nature where you might imagine yourself lying out in the grass on a beautiful day. Or could, this could be in the company of somebody you love. It could be with a grandma or a pet. Or it could be a feeling or an experience you had as a child which was really deeply nurturing. Just feel into that. It's a bit like sliding into a warm bath. Just simply be with whatever helps you to relax for a few moments. And notice how this feels in your body. And now open your heart and consider this love that you have for a grandmother, a pet, a loved one, a relative, a friend. And consider that we're going to meditate on that feeling, not just for ourselves, but for all beings. So really feel this love and kindness for the special person or the special pet, or even just for the natural wonders of our earth. Feel a deep sense of gratitude. Feel a deep sense of kindness flowing from your heart. And then bring to mind the blessings of this, this love, this simple love and kindness that you're feeling. It could be in the form of a teacher you have. You might be connected to deities or angels, or it could be just as simple as that grandma that you can feel. I want you to feel that love for that being or that person or that being. And I want you to feel it in front of you. And I want you to feel it to your right. And I want you to feel that love and care protecting you, supporting you behind you. And feel it to your left. And then feel it below you. As if your feet are anchored in love and kindness and it's flowing up through your thighs and lips and into your belly, into your heart. And then feel it opening above you. And feel it opening into your crown. Third eye, throat and heart, flung down to your belly, right down into the root center. And then feel as if all this love that's surrounding you is dissolving into light. And then imagine all of that light and wisdom merging into you. And then just let go and rest for a moment. 
And now we're going to deeply embody this kindness. I want you to imagine above you that that love, that love for that grandma or that angelic being or that deity or the pet, is right above you and begins to flow down through your crown. And if you take both your hands and gently begin to tap this love and kindness into your crown. So you're just gently reaching up with your fingertips and tapping your crown, tapping this love and kindness. It's like you're gently tapping love and kindness and beauty and wonder and openness into your crown. It feels so good. It's like a bath. It's like a bath of presence or nectar is flowing into you through this opening, through this felt sense in your crown. And then gently move your fingers down to your third eye, the space between your eyebrows, and just gently tap there that same love and kindness. It's the same one thing, the same love, kindness, that feeling you have for that pet or grandma or you're embodying it. You can feel it in that third eye area. And then gently move your hands around to the base of your skull, so behind you. And just gently feel into that beautiful opening in the throat center as you tap gently behind you. It's like you're filling the base of your skull with this love and kindness and opening. And then move your hands gently down your body and tap your heart. And tap around about the chest there. Just gently tapping this loving kindness, compassion. Wisdom, you can feel it in every cell of your body. And then just relax your hands and just feel how your body feels. Feel yourself opening. Just drop all effort for a moment, drop any judgment about what's happening. Just give yourself permission to simply be this embodied presence of love. You don't even need to meditate, you're just resting naturally with this open. Loving awareness. Oh, it feels good. And for a few moments, for these last few minutes, bring your awareness to your breathing and breathe as this love, breathe as this gentle, embodied kindness and love. It's so simple. Notice the quality of your breathing as you inhale. Experience the full feeling of your breathing as this loving kindness. Feel the beauty of the gift of your breath. That we're breathing in the plants and the trees, gifts to us. And as we breathe out, we're compassionately giving the gift back with great gratitude. Our breathing is intimately connected to the earth and all beings. Experience the whole process of the breath. Aware of the in-breath from the very moment it begins, arises out of stillness. You feel the sensations of the in-breath evolve in every moment. And then you have such degree of clarity, you can even see the space, that brief pause between the in-breath and the next out-breath. You feel the gap, the space, between each cycle of in-breath and out your experience of the breath is so tranquil and beautiful. It's like the most beautiful garden in springtime. 
I wonder if you'll ever want to do or look at anything else again. The gap between the in-breath and the out-breath is so vast, like space, so completely transparent, that there's no outside or inside, and no in-between. So just rest in this ungraspable, open, spacious world for a few moments. That's such a beautiful place to rest in, and I can feel each of those shifts as you walk us through the exercise, Stephen. Just a beautiful slowing down of attention to being here, being now, and it's available to us right here in any moment of our busy lives. So thank you so much for reminding us of how close all those things are, and we can make those shifts just by consciousness. We're going to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. Stephen's website again is raisingourvibration.net. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're making High Energy Health a part of your day and your week. Make it a habit. For more on Stephen's work, go to his website, RaisingOurVibration.net. RaisingOurVibration.net. Stephen, as we come near the end of our conversation today, I'd love to get a sense from you, a description what it's like to be in these states, because often when we're in these states in everyday life, we're just functioning. If you raised your vibration <laughs> to a certain level, then again, it's, it's a little hard to connect with people around you. I know when I go on a retreat, for example, I go to retreats in my uh, my van to the coast in California, and uh, I just spend like a few days there. I don't want to see anybody or talk to anybody. I just want to be in that that space. And I, I literally bring canned cold coffee. I don't even want to have to go to the coffee shop and talk to a barista. You know, you just want to be interfacing it with, with other people. is a real process when you're in those states. And they're so different from ordinary, everyday reality. So what, what do they feel like to you? Describe some of the experiences you had when you are in that space of, of sleeping and dreaming. What is this? You mentioned earlier the... Thank you. I didn't write it down, but it was something like the infinite uh, feeling as though you're in the infinite. What does that experience feel like to you? So the experience is saturated with bliss and love. It feels like I'm in love with the world constantly. So it actually has been very useful in practical terms, in terms of that interface with every everybody else, is that I see everybody as the Buddha or Christ or Magan. I see everybody as Tara in a in a very simple sense. And when I go to the supermarket, it's a very simple way. I greet everybody as being an enlightened being. So that simple practice, the simple practice of seeing everybody as the Buddha, 
and feeling that the ground I'm walking on is like a mandala. Now, for me, it actually looks like that. When you ask how my experience is, my vision actually over the years has slowly changed to a rainbow tinge, which is why I have this rainbow at my back. The It actually looks like that. There's a different sense of color to everything. The colors are very vibrant and very, very bright, and they stay like that constantly. And smells are very strong, and hearing is very heightened. Like I feel like I can hear into multiple sources of sound all at the same time. And there's a constant hum or a vibration, like om, that hums in my being. I spent some time with a Swami in Himalayas, and his was a simple sound vibration, using the vibration of om constantly. And I had direct experiences of con- cosmic consciousness through that simple vibrating as om constantly, 24 hours a day for you know weeks on end. And and just simply practicing that one thing, and this is one of the things I'd love to share with people, if you have something that really touches your heart, make that your one thing. Bring Have conscious check-ins throughout your day where you come back again and again to that very special moment that, that lights you up. Because that's my brain feels like that. I think you mentioned, and I alluded to it a little, that I've been tested in a variety of labs, both in the U.S. and Japan, and they show very, very high gamma states compared to, they compared my brain with three groups of meditators throughout Japan. There's no, my gamma range is vast and their gamma range is small. So the, a long-term meditator, I've been meditating around 40 years. So the, the, obviously it does make that enlightenment network that you often refer to is switched on and it's constantly on and it keeps feeling like that. And so the world looks very bright. When I close my eyes, it looks like I'm in a bright field. When I meditate, it's even brighter. Deities appear, angels appear, Buddhas appear. I've been very fortunate by, by being blessed by teachers like the Dalai Lama and Tenzin Wangyu Rinpoche and Mingyu Rinpoche and Paramahansa Yogananda to have had that direct input and that direct guidance. And I just simply followed their instructions for around 40 years and kept practicing hours and hours a day. And the... It got down to very simple. That's really one of my points here is that make conscious check-ins your daily go-to. Find those moments we just, as you teach, Dawson, that there are these bliss states that we can access very rapidly. And sometimes I mentioned a story at the beginning about my little girl. Uh, she's eight, eight. She just recently had COVID along with the rest of the family. For me, it was just simply I chanted through it and I came out of it and had quite a rapid recovery. My daughter struggled with breathing. So I taught her, as I teach many people, the same beautiful breath that you often share, breathing in for a count of four and breathing out for a count of six so that vagus nerve and that parasympathetic nervous system is stimulated. And that was a real aha for her. She said, Dada, when I do this, I calm down and I can breathe. And she spoke recently at a peace conference, Dawson, and I asked her to write her bio. And she said, oh, I just want them to describe me as love, awareness, <laughs> <laughs> love, love, awareness meditation, and wisdom. I just thought, that's my girl. <laughs> so it's so it feels like that. And I think the it feels very bright and very lit constantly. I feel like I'm on it, it, people come to me from all over the planet because they want to have a plant medicine experience outside of taking plant medicine. And because my brain looks like it's on 24-7 DMT, which is what the neuroscientists described my brain as, they said, oh, you have this very high theta at 
7.8 hertz, you have a constant Schumann resonance of 7 and 4, you know, 7 theta 14 alpha, and you have this incredibly high gamma that goes way up beyond 200 hertz. So whatever you are doing, they said it, it's like that all the time. And the Japanese lab, that, so there was a study that was published in Japan at a science and technic, uh, technology conference. And that got me a lot of interest because people said, oh, you can actually really do these things. You're not just describing things that are unresearched. You've actually been re researched and published. So it's really helpful. The science and the spirituality in this section, when they work together like that, is such a beautiful gift. <laughs> I'm so grateful for describing it because it's, you know, it's people think I can't get there. I don't know how to get there. And then you showed us the exercise. You can get there in five minutes. And your advice to actually, it's very much similar advice that Paul Branton gave people a hundred years ago after he sat with Ramana Maharshi is just remember that, bring it to memory over and over and over again. He called it remembering the glimpse of heaven you've had. So you, you bring it to memory just thousands of times. Thousands. And then after a while, you start to immerse yourself in that reality. And then after a while, that reality starts to become the primary reality that you are aware of and everything else starts to fade. So it's, it's wonderful to know that you can be there, go there, spend time there, and then make that after a while your new normal. Steve, I'm so grateful for you, for the wonderful inspiration you brought today, the wonderful inspiration you're bringing through your, your life and your work. And I know that as we do this, that many people are awakening and are coming to this realization and that we are moving toward living in a world of Buddhas. <laughs> <laughs> we truly are. And you are one of them, Dawson. You are one of them. I bow humbly at the feet of the wisdom of the Buddha Dawson Church. So thank uh, you. Bless you. Thank you. And thanks for tuning into High Energy Health. Make sure you stay tuned to us regularly every week. Thanks again. See you in a week. Till then, be healthy, be happy, and fill your life with love. Thank you. <laughs>